Excellent, thank you. Yes, as Mike said, uh, this is one of my first times being in with you properly, so it's nice to be with you and see you all. Uh, we are going to be continuing our Galatians series this morning. So we've already looked at Galatians 1, 2 and 3. I'll give you a little reminder of what we looked at so far. So Emily kicked off the series looking at chapter 1. And she gave a bit of context to the letter that Paul is writing to the Galatians and his main aim in writing the letter as well. Then James talked about chapter 2 and thought about what the law looks like for the Galatians and what that looks like for us today. And then a couple of weeks ago, Mike looked at chapter 3 and uh, thought about the interaction between faith and the law and the importance of having faith. So we're going to kind of carry on looking at that now, picking up in chapter 4. Um, but Paul kind of starts chapter 4 in the middle of a thought, so we're going to backtrack a little bit so we know what he's talking about. We're going to start at uh, chapter 3, verse 23, and we're going to read that. It should pop up on the screen, or you can find it in your Bibles if you've got it. Um, I'm reading from the NIV. So this is Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 23, going into chapter 4. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the t set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. Okay, we're going to stop there and then pick up in a minute. Have, anyone, uh, have any of you seen Toy Story before? Yes, okay, great. For those of you who haven't seen Toy Story, it is all about a little boy called Andy. Uh, it's a Disney film. About a little boy called Andy, and he's got a load of toys. Uh, but the twist is, when Andy's not in the room, the toys come to life, which is very exciting. And they get into all sorts of adventures and trouble and mischief, and it all turns out okay in the end. But... All the toys know they belong to Andy because they've got his name written on the bottom of their feet. And there's a moment in the first film when Buzz Lightyear, who is uh, a new toy that Andy got for his birthday, shows the rest of the toys that he's got Andy's name written on the bottom of his foot now. And they're so excited because it means he's one of them. 
and at various points throughout the film, looking at the name on the bottom of their foot reminds them of who they belong to. By the time we get to the third film, though, Andy's all grown up, he's not a little boy anymore, and he's going to college, so he sends his toys to be with another uh, little girl. He gives them away to a girl named Bonnie. Declan's looking at me confused. In the fourth film, Bonnie uh, is... Uh, the toys are all hers, and you can see that the name on the bottom of their feet has changed. It no longer says Andy, it now says Bonnie. And that shows that they have changed their status in belonging. They are no longer Andy's toys, but they are Bonnie's toys. And that's kind of like what Paul is looking at in this part of the uh, letter to the Galatians. In verse 3, Paul says that they were slaves to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Or from what we've looked at already, we could interpret that as the law. So they were slaves to the law. And I think it is worth noting that slavery for those people in that time looked very different to what we think of slavery as now. If you were a slave, you were owned by a family, but you would be in service to them, and you were kind of on the bottom rung of the social ladder, but you were looked after and cared for by the family. When you bought a slave, it was your responsibility to care for them and your well-being, their well-being was your concern. So there is a sense of being kept safe if you're a slave and the Israelites were kept safe by the law. But there was also the reality of being owned by the law. Previously, the law was the guardian over the Israelites and they were in slavery and belonged to it. But the time had come for that not to be the case anymore. And Jesus came, he lived on earth, died on the cross, rose again, so that there could be redemption, meaning that we were adopted as children of God. And there's a transformation from guardianship under the law to personal relationship with Jesus. And it's like the name change from the foot, from Andy to Bonnie, the figurative name on the foot of the Israelites is changed from slave to the law to child of God. And that's the same for us. We are no longer slaves to the law, but children of God. But what difference does that actually make? Paul kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger there. Um, as we move into verse 8, he has a little interlude and he kind of changes his tone with the Galatians and tells them off a little bit. So we're going to read from verse 8 now. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. 
Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I have now become your enemy by telling you the truth. Oh, sorry. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. So in this section, Paul takes the moment to kind of tell the Galatians off, which he does kind of do throughout the rest of the letter as well. But he says that they're going back to the weak and miserable forces that had control over their lives before they knew Jesus. They're becoming slaves to those things again when they don't need to because they have freedom. Paul recounts his time with the Galatians and reminds them of how generous and loving and caring they were of him and how they accepted and welcomed the gospel from him. But that's not, what ha- that's not what's happening anymore. I don't know if you've ever come across somebody who, despite being told the way to do things or uh, being given lots of advice, always goes back to the way of doing things that they want to do. And they are so frustrating as somebody who's given the advice and is now looking on. It is so annoying. And you want to shout at them. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's going, why are you turning back to your old vices of the law? You have seen freedom. As outsiders, we might share Paul's irritation. It's very easy to look on and say, Why on earth are you doing that, Galatians? But when we look at our own lives, do we ever turn away from the freedom that we have found in being God's child and come under slavery to other things? It might not be the law which we turn to, but there can be other things in our lives which begin to override our belonging to Christ. If we think back to that Toy Story image of the name on the foot, What does the name on the bottom of our foot say? When you take a step back from your life, is there anything that you are turning to instead of the freedom which is found in being one of God's children? For the Galatians, they're being really zealous and Paul takes time to commend that zeal. He says, It's great that you're being zealous, but you're being zealous for the wrong things. They're being zealous for people who are trying to tell them to follow the law instead of uh, being part of the family of God. And those people are trying to alienate them from the family. Paul wants them to be zealous for God and to go all in for Jesus. And that is part of being the family of God too. You need to be all in for the family of God. But there are things that are standing in the way of that for the Galatians, and Paul wants to take those barriers away. I wonder if there are things that are stopping us from fully being in the family of God as well. Are there things that are stopping us from being fully 
in the family of God and fully living our lives for Jesus. If you're sat there going, no, then that's great. That is amazing. Let's celebrate that. But sometimes there can be things. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're little, and sometimes they sneak in quietly without us realizing it. That can be a barrier to us being fully in the family of God. If there's something that's coming up for you, something you're reflecting on, then I'd really encourage you to take the time to think about that and to spend time with God about it and pray with others if that feels appropriate. Because being adopted into the family of God is so important and it brings so much joy. And Paul uh, illustrates that through looking at the story of Hagar and Sarah. So we're going to uh, read that now. From verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son, born according to the flesh, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So a little bit of background to the Hagar-Sarah story. This, uh, if we go back to Genesis, we can see this playing out. Uh, Sarah is the wife of Abraham, and they're given a promise from God that they will have a child, they will have a son. Uh, But Sarah can't get pregnant, and they're really, really old, Um, so they take things into their own hands. And Abraham has a child with Hagar, who's one of their servants, and that child is named Ishmael. But that's not the child that God was promising. So Sarah later becomes pregnant, God fulfills his promise, and gives birth to a son named Isaac. And Isaac is the child of the promise. So Paul uses this story to illustrate the two camps that the church in Galatia are falling into. Some were saying that you could only be a child of Sarah, a descendant of Isaac, if you were a Jewish Christian, one who had followed the law and had followed the instruction of circumcision and so on. So if you were an uncircumcised, non-law-following Gentile, which a lot of the church in Galatia were, you must be a child of Hagar, 
so a descendant of Ishmael. But Paul's not having any of that. A theologian, Tom Wright, sets it out quite nicely, and he says, they were viewing the free children of the promise, the descendants of Isaac, as those who followed the law. But as Paul has already set out, uh, we've looked at it in this chapter and in chapter three as well, the law was only functioning between the time of Moses, when it was given, and Jesus, to keep the Israelites under guardianship or enslaved. So the law itself no longer produces Isaac's children, but produces Ishmael children. And he goes on to say that Isaac, we want to be Isaac people who inherit the promise rather than Ishmael people. So Paul uh, then asks the question, who is on Isaac's side? And the answer is anybody who believes in Jesus. To quote Tom Wright again, those who believe the gospel are, like Isaac, promised people, the free family of God. And that is major for the Galatians, because that's where their divide is coming in. They um, want to categorize people by their heritage, by what law they followed in the past, what law they're following now. And that's a major point of conflict, but that's been abolished with this. If they believe in the gospel message, which Paul shared with them, that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to take the punishment for sins, and to rise again three days later. If they believe that, accept it, and live their lives following that, then they are in the family of God. And the good news is that's for us as well. So when we choose to accept and believe that, we are adopted into the family of believers, which is super exciting. So I'm going to invite you guys back up and just pray for us to finish. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to earth to die on the cross and to rise again so that we could come into personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray for this family of believers here. I pray that we'll come into deeper relationship with you and with each other, that we would know you even more personally and corporately. And I pray that we would have the vision for this family of of God, for this family of believers to grow and to uh, expand even further than it is already. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.